Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Turning back to this idea as we've been leaning into Scripture that God has had a plan, and God's had a plan for the beginning, and God's had a plan as man fell out of relationship with, with him. He's had a plan, and he's put a plan together, and a lot of it, you, you aren't able to see the plan, and if you were to just look at the Old Testament, as we've been doing over the last s- several months, six, seven months, as you just look at it, you go, oh, that, wow, that must be the solution. What God did must be the solution, but the reality is this. After the fall of man, every man was born under the curse of sin. And so there's a solution. And so I, I want to share with you today the heart of God. As we've been doing our reading, we are now in John. And I'm going to be reading from John chapter 19. And just really, I want us to take it in. I want us to, to see what's actually happening. What does the cross of Jesus really represent? What did it, what did it achieve by God? And so under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, were rules and regulations that, that connected us to God. And we had to, we had to follow them and, and be a part of them. The Jews did. And there was this covenant made with the Jews and covenant made with Abraham. And so they had to offer lambs and goats and bulls on an altar for their sins. But that, it didn't remove their sins. But all those who were just, all that was just temporary, pointing to a, to a greater reality that we find in John chapter 19. We find the reality. We find what what was being pointed to. We're reminded that that prophetically, that God was, after the fall of man, God was going to, he was going to bring about a seed from the woman. And that seed would crush the head of Satan. And Satan would strike the heel of that seed. And we know that to to be Jesus. And so this is Jesus as we come to this passage. He's been nailed to the cross, the most shameful, painful punishment to which any criminal could be subject to. He has been stripped and laid across the beams and spikes, driven into his quivering flesh. This is Jesus purchasing the church right here. This is Jesus being the solution of creating a family of God that we could be taken from the kingdom of darkness and set into the kingdom of light. And so John chapter 19, carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, change it from king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among them, among the four of them. They also took his robe. But it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus, Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciples, he 
he loved, which was John, who's the writer of this. He said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took care of, excuse me, took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission, I want you to see this, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want us to look today at the reality of it is finished. This was the, this was the, everything was leading up to this moment. Everything was pointing to this moment. Everything was, was, was waiting. God was waiting to bring the solution of his son. And these are the greatest words spoken from the greatest man ever, Jesus Christ. And so for Jesus, he speaks this on the cross under his maximum pain. He had to press up from his own legs because of how, how the cross works is that it, it, it suffocates you. You're not able to bring in breath to your, to your rib cage and to your lungs. They, 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 you can only breathe a little bit. You take short breaths. And so he has, to, he has to push up, breathe in, and declare it is finished. Now we need to understand what this means for us. I mean, we've been waiting for this moment. We've walked through the curse of sin. We've walked through the, the curse of the law. We've, we've walked through the birth of Jesus. And now, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for your life? The author and pastor Charles Spurgeon said, we would need all the other words that have and can ever be spoken to explain these three words spoken by Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. Many of us understand that. We hear that. But do we know what it means for us? That's the tragedy, I believe, probably with many Christians is that, that we, we know what Jesus has accomplished. We, oh, it is finished. But what does it really mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for your family? What does it mean for your life? What does it mean for your future that it's actually finished? So I just want to cover just some, some things that are really important for us today. And, and you may say, oh yeah, I've heard this before, but I want you to listen to it and allow it to soak in your heart and your mind. And we're going to take communion in just a few moments together. So what did Jesus finish on the cross? What, did he, what was he talking about? One, he was saying that he finished the curse of sin. Now, we need to understand the curse of sin is, is, is something that every person is born under the curse of sin. We've talked about this a lot, that everyone that is born under the curse of sin, we were born into the wrong family, and that's the family of darkness and the family of sin. You yourself can do nothing about it. It's hard to believe that little baby you hold in your hand is you're such a sinner, right? <laughs> but it's true. It's true. When they're like three, then you're like, you're definitely a sinner, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. But Jesus was declaring the curse of sin was finished. Isaiah 53 writes this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. Everybody say wounded. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are what? Healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does this mean for you today? To put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Many of us, we, we walk with God for many years. But we don't ever fully we don't ever fully leverage our faith or connect our faith to what Jesus did for us. From the garden up to this point, every person carried the weight of sin. And sin was like a sickness that entered the soul of mankind. It kept our hearts darkened. It kept our, our minds confused. It kept our relationships toxic and our emotions always up and down. And the feeling and the gut of the person, is they, it was, they embodied the curse of sin. And when Jesus shouted, it's finished on the cross, it means he had taken our sin. When the soldiers nailed him to the cross, our sin was nailed to the cross with him. Our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And when Jesus endured the cross, when he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, he did it to pay the price for sin. Now, so many of us think this, that, that God is God's wrath. I understand. I understand that. And we think mean, mean God. That God's waiting to destroy you. He's waiting to, to, he just can't wait till you die so he can send you to hell because of sin. And we see this, that God is the, he's, he's, his eyebrows are furrowed. He's, he's angry. He's full of wrath. And Jesus is like, no, God, no, God, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take care of it. No, stop. Don't kill him. I'll do it, God. And we see Jesus as this, this, this person who holds off the wrath of God, but we forget that it was God's idea to send his own son to save you from your sins. And if we're not careful, we can live in this realm that God is this angry God waiting to get us. He is a loving, faithful, long-suffering God that was willing to lay his own son down so that you could be saved. That's not a God that hates you. That's a God who loves you. And it's not that he can't, it's not, he can't, this idea, we think he can't wait to, to kill us or send us to hell and pour his wrath out on us. No, no, no. He can't wait to, for you to put your faith in Christ so that he can have a relationship with you because that's what he wanted from the very beginning. He loves you. When Jesus endured the cross, he endured the penalty for sins, takes the punishment for sin, and sin itself was upon him. The one who knew no sin became sin. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I want you to say, I want you to say curse for us. Say that with me. 
curse for us. Now I want you to say for me. He became a curse for me. Say it again. Became a curse for me. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And you and I, yes, we stand before God without Christ. Short. We've failed. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The wrath of God is not that he is pouring it on us. It's that we deserve it. God is holy and we have fallen short. And so we stand before him deserving eternal judgment. But Jesus, God sending his son, steps into our place instead of us on the cross of punishment, it's Jesus. Jesus endured our punishment and took our place on the cross and took God's wrath on himself. And the father, by nailing his son to the cross, turned a cross designed for condemnation into a cross of redemption for you and me. For me, it always blows my mind that the creator of nature, he created trees. And he created a tree at one point that he knew this one will be made as an altar for the sins of the world, and I will place my own son on it. And Jesus took upon himself the full weight of sin. Jesus drank this, the full cup of punishment for our sin. And he drank it and he consumed it all. And when he drank the last drop of our, the curse of sin, he declared, it is finished. Satisfied. That's why God spoke to us through the prophet Isaiah out of Isaiah 43. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. It is God who blots out our transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. This, this, isn't, this isn't that God forgot, because God doesn't forget anything. This is the act of God's will to choose to no longer remember your sins. He chooses it. It's a choice he makes, and he does it, and he, he, and he walks in that, and it, this is the reality of what Jesus has purchased for us. And this is a sacrifice of Jesus for all those who call upon the name of the Lord. We get to taste and see that God is good because of the words and the acts of obedience. But the words of Jesus, it is finished. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. This is what all of creation was waiting on. Jesus said, it is finished, the curse of sin. For all of those who accept and put their faith in me, it is finished, it's over. The second thing I want us to see today is what was finished is number two, mankind's separation from God. After Adam and Eve sinned at the tree, they were separated from God. 
They were placed outside of the garden. They were, they were no longer allowed to have a relationship with God. That intimacy, that, that the closeness, why they were created was no longer happening in their lives. And when Jesus shouted on the cross, what we forget is this, the, remember the, the religious system of the temple. And so there was, there, you had to go in, only certain people could go in to the temple to worship God. Only certain people could make sacrifices. But it is historically proven that when Jesus shouted on the cross, it is finished, something happened in the temple of God. And it was confirming our separation from God was finished. In Matthew 27, verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What was God saying? What, what, was, what statement was God making in the temple that he told them, you should do this. This is how you can fulfill my law. This is how you can obey me is make sacrifices. And here's the model of the temple. Leading up to the cross for 1,500 years, God had put in place barricades between himself and man. The whole religious system of the Jews communicated this. You have limited access to God because of the relationship that was lost back in the garden. What many people don't understand is there's these different levels of separation. So if you weren't Jewish and you wanted to worship God, so if you were a Gentile like most of us here today and you wanted to worship God, you had to stay in what was called the court of the Gentiles. So you had to stay on the outside. The temple represented the presence of God and the, and the holiness of God and that's our creator, but I have to stay out here on the outside. Then three feet above that, because it was then elevated, they had what was called the sacred enclosure, which no unclean Gentile could ever touch, with, even with their foot, because it was at, they were at risk of death. So Gentiles are like, no, don't, don't you come any further, no more. You cannot get close to God. Nope, you stay right there. Then, the, then, the, um, then 10 foot further up, the court of the women. And this is where the Jewish women could gather, but it was called the, the court of Israel. Every male Israelite could come and worship God from, from that place, but the women could go no further. Then three feet above that was the court of the priests. Then eight foot above that was called the house of God, which was divided into two parts. One was the holy place, one was the holy of holies. And then only one high priest was allowed to go into the holy of holies once a year be behind the veil or a curtain that separated it. The whole arrangement of the temple wasn't to, to be like, isn't this great? It was, to, it was to remind mankind that they are separated from God. God did it as a picture. He gave the law to reveal to us that we can't keep it. Therefore, we violate it. Therefore, then what? Exactly. He laid out the temple to say, there's a distance. Don't, you cannot come this far. Only special people. Only this race. Only this. And so he set it up to tell us constantly, stop. Don't come any further. He set it up to provoke in us, well, then how do we get close to you? Everything about the whole system is, is you, you, you can only come this far. You need to stay back. Ladies, sorry, you can't come any closer. You Jewish men, you can come here, but you can't go there. Priests, you can come here, but you can't go any closer. 
And then only special people can go into the Holy of Holies. But even if you were special and if you were chosen, if you still had to go and you still had to go through all these religious acts of, of cleansing yourself, and even the one that got behind the Holy of Holies, there's a tradition that says, if you didn't do something right in the rituals that were supposed to make you clean to go in, if you made a mistake, there's a tradition that says that you could die in there. So they would tie a rope on his leg and the bells that were on the edge of their robes, if they heard them drop to the ground, they thought, well, let's pull this guy out. He didn't make it. The whole arrangement and the curtain that was torn was God saying your sin is the barrier and it separates you from the holiness of God. You gotta stay back. And when Jesus shouted, it is finished. This curtain that screamed stay back was torn from top to bottom. 30 foot high, 60 foot wide, nine inches thick. It took 300 priests to hang it. The historian Josephus said four teams of horses running the opposite direction could not have pulled this curtain apart. But I'll tell you this, one shout from the Son of God on the cross ripped it in half from top to bottom. This was God saying, I want you close. This is God saying, I want you to come home. This is God saying, this is why I created you. This is God saying, I want a relationship with you. I want you to know me. And I had to make a way to get my kids close to my heart. And, I've, and it is God showing mercy and grace by laying his own son so that we could be in his presence. There's no more barrier. Jesus said, it's finished. There's no more barrier. This is why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And the last thing I want us to look at today about what was finished. When Jesus says it is finished, because he cares about what I'm about to say. It was Jesus saying over your life, no more shame. Your shame is finished. This shame, feeling of shame, it's a universal feeling in the lives of humanity. I believe probably a lot of, the, the, a lot of the, the mental issues that we have today is probably, it's a lot of it's rooted to an underlying sense of shame. The world tells us don't feel bad for what you do. Don't feel bad for your life's choices. Live your life however you want to. The world tells you, hey, I'll show you how to cover it up. I'll show you. We'll create, we'll create our own language and our own words that say, hey, that lifestyle is okay and it's okay if you do this or my body, my choice. Or, I mean, we'll, we'll create all of that. And maybe if we say it enough, then our shame will go away. But anyone who has been rescued from that reality of shame realizes it was only Jesus who could set me free. Up to this point with Jesus on the cross, there never been a moment, I want you to think about this, there had never been a moment in time and in history that a woman or man had been free from the guilt and shame of their sins. 
they felt it. Up to this point of Jesus on the cross, there was a system that could, we could make sacrifices. But the stain of your sin remained deep in your life. You had to carry it for the rest of your life. You had to feel the burden of it, the weight of it. You had to lay in your bed at night and say, I made the sacrifice, but I still feel shame. But when Jesus shouted, it's finished on the cross, he was declaring that he has nailed your shame to that cross. Hebrews 10 says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. You would have never had to go back and do it again the next year. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God. As it is written about me in the scriptures, first Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And after Jesus had taken the shame and the guilt of all of us, he said, it's finished. He was delivering humankind from the bondages of shame. He was setting all of us free from the shame, the lingering deep shame. And he was giving us freedom to live a new life, a new identity, that we are now children of God. God's mercy and the finished work of the cross, it is finished. And Jesus saved us from the power of Satan over our lives. He purchased us back with his own blood. Ephesians 1 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness, look at that, the fullness of time. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what, what all of humanity has been longing for. That if only I could remove the shame, if only I could remove the guilt, 
If only if I could get delivered. But it was Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and on earth. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying all those who put their trust in God through my work will live forever in eternity with me. You will be given a new identity, a new name. But what it also means is that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and we've been placed into the kingdom of his son. We can rest assured now by your faith and, and, the, and the declaration of it is finished. You can rest assured, you can be assured there won't be a man there won't be a woman, there won't be a devil who can stand before God and bring an indictment against you. You are saved because it is finished. That's the good news of the gospel. He purchased you and he shouted, it's finished. He, he shouted, they are mine now. He shouted, there is deliverance now. And when Jesus shouted, it is finished, he wasn't saying, I'm finished. He wasn't saying this was the end. He was saying the price had been paid. And now today, Jesus continues to work in our lives and through our lives. He continues to save people. Millions and millions of people every year come to Christ and know him. It's because of this good news. And the shout of Jesus on the cross was not a shout from a victim. It was a shout from a victorious champion. It is finished. It's done. And we know this, that though we were all victims of sin, Jesus became victorious on the cross for John 19. And three days later, after he declared it's finished, God sealed the deal. And Jesus rose from the dead, sealing you and I's life forevermore. This is the good news, amen? And God wants that reality of the finished work of the cross resonating deeply in your life. What areas have you not really embraced by faith it is finished. The price has been paid. I am free from guilt and shame. I, also, you're free from whatever was spoken over you or to you or in you. You are free from whatever was done to you. And you're also free from whatever you've done to someone else. By your faith in Christ, you are made new under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you say about yourself now. It doesn't matter what someone else says about you, about you now. What only matters is what God says about you because what he says is the reality and that is your identity. And we need to embrace that today. If we can, let's stand to our feet as we close our time in communion. If you need to make your way to grab a cup, let's do that. We've set the month of November aside to
to every day to remember what Jesus had done for us. So as you hold your, your cup and your cracker, again, I'd like for you just to look at that cracker just for a moment. Seems very insignificant, but this that you hold in your hand represents the stripes on his back that purchased healing for you, of your mind, your emotions. The punishment that you deserved was upon him. And so, Jesus, we remember, we rehearse, we become aware of what was finished. And we put our faith in that reality. So Lord, today, we as your church here, we eat of the bread as a significant act of faith. And as we chew it and swallow it, it reminds us what you've purchased for us. Let's eat of the bread. In the same way, Jesus, you didn't, your, your blood wasn't spilt because that's accidental. You poured out your blood for us. Purposeful. Your plan from the beginning. And so, Lord, today, we drink of the cup of the new covenant. By faith, we put our trust and faith that you took us from the kingdom of darkness and you set us into the kingdom of light. In other words, we are free from all slavery to sin. We can be freed from addiction. We can be free from our thoughts. We can be free from our negative emotions. We can be free from the things that we've done. And we can be free from the things that have been done to us. We drink this cup signifying that I am cleansed and forgiven from every sin I've ever done and every sin I may ever do. This represents my new identity and the kingdom of God as a child of God. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are and your kindness and love to us. God, thank you for John 19. Jesus, thank you for the finished work. Holy Spirit, thank you that now you dwell in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, today we leave here today with a fresh understanding of what was finished. And also today, God, we fix our eyes on what you've done. And if you're here today and you have a deep sense of shame because of a failure, because of a decision that you made that you are ashamed of, and you have given that in, into the hands of Jesus, the Lord wants you to know that you are free, that there is no condemnation for those who are in him. 
that today that you would reach out with the arm of your faith and take hold that you are set free from shame and guilt. And may the Holy Spirit minister to you right now, bringing peace to your soul and your mind, that you would lift your head and you would walk from this moment forward as a child of God, no longer anchored to your old identity, but anchored to His. Also, if you're here today with every head bowed and eye closed and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to give your life to Jesus today, you want to surrender your life to Him, and you want to secure and you want to come into alignment that He's secured your eternity, and you want to be cleansed and become a child. Nobody looking around, just raise your hand right where you are to receive the gift of grace. Thank you, thank you, bless you. Thank you, God bless you. You can put your hands down, bless you guys. Many hands going up. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And we're gonna pray it with you. And the Bible says that as you pray and put your faith in Christ that you will be saved. So let's all pray together, say, Lord Jesus, I put my faith in you. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe that you're coming back again. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. From this moment forward, tell me what to do and I'll do it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you take that next step, and you can find that on our website. Before you leave today, just lift your hands, and I'm going to pray God's blessing over your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless your children, that you'd prosper them, that you'd lead them, you'd guide them. Today, as they leave, may they walk in a new confidence and understanding that the work of you, it's finished. And by their faith in you, they can walk in deliverance and freedom. Now, may they go and be lights in the midst of darkness. May they be lights in the midst of a broken world. And may they shine brightly as they remember their identity and walk in the power and anointing of you over their lives. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen.